This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. So with that, let's get into the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bible, open it to Colossians chapter 1. You'll find Colossians in the New Testament. You'll find it probably about, I don't know, seven-eighths, something like that, five-sixths of the way through the Bible. We're going to be in Colossians for the next several months with breaks here and there. So there's a phrase that you've heard often. It goes, practice makes perfect. Three quick words, but I I can tell you at least two significant life lessons that we learn from practice makes perfect. Life lesson number one, we should not assume we will be good at something right away. So whether you're learning to play the piano or whether you're learning to, you know, throw a tight spiral or chop wood, you are not going to be very good at it at first. Life lesson number two, practice makes perfect, implies that when you do work on something, there's a pretty good chance that you will get better at it. And so it's easy to get frustrated and think, man, I stink at this, but hopefully it gives you little bit of encouragement, little bit of hope to know that even Michael Jordan had to work on his jump shot. Practice makes perfect. And the reason I want to start there is because in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 14, where we're going to be this morning, it's about practicing the gospel. And yes, the gospel is something that not only can be practiced, it actually is something that must be practiced. It's because, as we'll read in in just a moment, it's possible to be a Christian, to be loved and accepted and cherished by God, but at the same time, it's also possible to not be living fully pleasing to him. And so here's how I would say that, what I just said, a, a, a different way. It's possible to be saved, But that doesn't mean we're done. And that God doesn't have much, much more that he wants to give us and to call us into. And the way that we walk in all that God has for us, for you, if you're in Christ, is to orient everything in our lives to him. And so that's what we read in Colossians 1. We're picking it up at verse 9. Practicing the gospel looks very practically like orienting, giving, placing everything in our lives under the authority and the sovereignty, submitting it to God, and joyfully living under him. So Colossians 1, starting at verse 9. Let's just read a little bit. And so, from the day we heard, really quick, kind of recap, heard what? So in the previous few verses, Paul, the apostle who sent this letter, has heard that there were Christians living in a Greek city of Colossae, and they had received the grace of God, and God is working in their lives. And the way that Paul is sure of it, the way that they can be sure of God's work in their lives, is at least two things that he points to. 
First is they have faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus doesn't come apart from the work of God. If you have any faith in Christ, it's because God has given it to you. Second thing, they love one another. So they have faith in Jesus and they love one another. Those are two evidences that God and his grace are working in their hearts and minds. And so from the day, that's what Paul means, from the day he and his companions heard that, picking it up again, it says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of him, of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, we're gonna be done reading there for this week. So folks, this is such good news. It's actually what the word gospel means. It means good news. And it's not just good news that delivers some information. That's, that's one kind of news to receive information, like hearing about something that happened in, in another part of the world, in another country that you don't know anybody in and that you've never visited. If you hear news of another nation, someplace halfway across the world, It's information. It's unlikely to really change much, if anything at all, about you. But there is another kind of news that you can receive that'll change everything about you. So you learn you're going to have a baby. You learn you've been promoted. When you hear news like that, it will have a very immediate, very personal impact on you. And the gospel is personal news that should change everything about you. But there's a problem that often comes, and it's that some hear the gospel and believe the gospel to be just like information, and they don't treat it as news that is for your life transformation. The gospel isn't just what changes even your future. The gospel is good news that should change you right now, every day. So what what comes out of what Paul is writing is really two gears of the gospel. So think of a a clock, not a a digital clock. Uh, Think of a, a clock with gears. Think of your bike. Your can opener probably has gears on it. It probably works this way. So gears are little wheels, they have teeth on them, and when you turn one of the gears, when you apply pressure or a force of some kind or a power to one of the gears, it turns all of the other gears in succession. What's being said here is that when the power of the gospel is applied to your life, it should begin to turn gears. And one gear after another, after another, after another should begin to turn when the power of the gospel is applied to your life. 
So it affects your eternity. But it also affects all these areas of your present life. When your faith is in Christ, it's not just the promise of heaven that's for you. That's great. That's wonderful. But it's that God also wants to work in your life and do things in you right now so that you're constantly being transformed more and more into the image and likeness of God. That's what God wants to do in your life through the gospel. Uh, When I hear people talking about God's work in their lives, I often hear it, and this is is sad, it's not good. I often hear it kind of in the negative, and, and we have to just handle this really quickly. I hear people saying, you know, yeah, I'm going through this trial, and God's really working on me in it. And what they mean by that is, is they're being stretched. I'm being stretched in some way, and it's uncomfortable. It's hard. So let me just submit something to you quickly here. If God is who he says he is, if, if he's done what it says he's done in, in places like verse 13, just, just as an example, that he's delivered you from a domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And and part of of the kingdom is being redeemed and having our, our many sins forgiven. If that's who God is, if that's what he's done, why would whatever work he's doing even if it's stretching, even if it's forcing you to confront what you've been holding from this world as precious, even if you don't know exactly how his work turns out, why wouldn't that be a great thing? Why wouldn't it be a great thing for God to be working on you? Right now, you and I are going to feel most often comfortable in the kingdom of of this world. It's home. It's where we're comfortable. It's what we know. We know the customs here. It's really all we've ever known. And so anytime we're being shown what it looks to live like as citizens of a different kingdom, that's going to feel like a stretch to us. It's going to feel like we're being pulled because we are. We're being pulled out of a kingdom of this world. We're being pulled into something else. But we can be sure that when we're being stretched, that when we're being pulled, whatever God is doing in us, it is for the better. There is light and there is healing and there is forgiveness, and we're made free, not in the kingdom of this world or by this world, but in him. And so whatever he's doing is for our good, and it is better than anything that you will find to grab onto to try to avoid the upward pull of the kingdom of God. And so why wouldn't we want more of that? Why wouldn't we want more of that? Now, now there are generally just two parts to the way that God does this kind of work that we're talking about 
And, and both of them are, are here in, in Colossians 1. Uh, so this isn't a complicated breakdown of these, two, of, the, of these few verses. Just two parts. Two parts. The first is our need to know the will of God. And the second is our need to obey the word of God. Our need to know the will of God, our need to obey the word of God. So let me just show you quickly where I, where I get these two basic categories. First, verse 9. Paul has been praying that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that's where I get the first part. We need to know the will of God. The second part, our need for obedience, first comes up in verse 10. The reason we know the will of God is not to impress people in Bible study. It's so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The next phrase there says that this leads us to be fully pleasing to him. And I love it. It actually comes back to knowledge again. When we know in God, and walk in God's will, we bear fruit in doing good works. And when we do that, we will continue to increase in knowledge. There is a cycle here. There is an upward pull. The more you know of God, the more you will desire to obey God. The more you desire to obey God, the closer you will get and the greater fellowship with him, with him with have, with, you will have with him and the more you will want to still walk in nearness and closeness to him. And up and up and up it goes. There should be an upward trajectory to your life if you are a Christian. You should know more of God's will. It should lead you to a greater desire to obey God. As you obey him, you grow in relationship with him and you will be more and more delighted to live a life pleasing to him. And so within that trajectory, let me just give you an assurance and a warning. First, the assurance. When you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Jesus, you are his. In him forever. That doesn't mean you have nothing left to do, though, and that's the warning. So the assurance, when your faith is in Christ, you are his forever. And neither height nor depth nor powers nor angels or demons nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean you have nothing left to do. So if somebody's telling you a story about how they trusted in Jesus a long time ago, yet part of that story is their life is mostly unchanged. They're still mostly the same as they were before that. Even though they're saying, I trusted in Jesus 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, the question needs to be asked, what's wrong with this story? And the answer is that they're not learning to walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord. And that is absolutely part of the Christian life. So theologically, we would say that you must be both positionally in Christ and you are progressively sanctified in Christ. I'll explain those words. 
Both are works of God. Both being positionally in Christ and being progressively sanctified are works of God, but we experience them in very different ways. So the first part of these verses talk about living in a manner worthy of the Lord, and there are phrases like bearing, good, bearing fruit and good work and having endurance and, and patience. Those are works of ongoing sanctification, which means to be transformed or formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So as you bear fruit and do good work, that's like Jesus. As you learn to endure, as you grow in patience, those are works transforming you to be like Jesus Christ. Before that, though, before we are sanctified, we must first be justified. So look at verse 12. The way this happens, justification and sanctification, the way that happens to us chronic, chronologically, Paul has actually put that in reverse order here. He's talking first about sanctification, then he talks about justification. It makes sense for him to do it that way, because what he's actually doing is what Paul is saying is we're praying for you to grow closer to God every day, which is exactly what you'd want to do if you've been forgiven and redeemed by God. So in verse 12, this is what happens first to you. Verse 12 is what happens chronologically first in your life. Giving thanks to the Father, they're praying for this, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And what is that inheritance? Life is a citizen in the kingdom of God. And why is that inheritance ours? Because God the Father has qualified you for it. And so if we're going to know and understand the will of God, it has to start with how we become children of God, which is what happens when we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. That word qualified, it means to be made sufficient. So God is the one who makes you sufficient to be a citizen of his kingdom. And the only way that happens is through the work of Christ. I could go lots of places in the New Testament for this, but let's just go to one. Galatians 2.16 is what I want to read for you. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but they're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what all of that means is that if your hope is in what you do, you will fail. But if your hope is in what Christ has already done, his work never fails. If you wonder whether or not you will be accepted by God, Friend, wonder no more. If your faith is in Jesus, he has made you sufficient. And what is promised to anyone, to everyone who is in Christ, has been promised and will be delivered to you. And with a God who would do that, Again, we ask the question, why wouldn't we want to know more of him and walk closer 
in fellowship with him. And we see more in here to do that, lean into him, near to him, be near to him in this way. That's what Paul was praying for at first, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In my experience, uh, Christians tend to make knowing the will of God far more difficult, almost mystical, almost a mystical experience, far more than than the Bible actually makes it. I I don't think you can state the will of God for your life any more clearly than, than this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you wonder, what is the will of God for my life? Write down in your notes right now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 8 through 18, that's the will of God for you, for all of us. So walking in God's will has far less to do with deciphering option A from option B as what choice God wants me to make and far more to do with asking how in everything I can celebrate, rejoice in, and rest in the sovereignty of God and his goodness to me. That's what the will of God is for you. Asking how in this do I give glory to God? And so the way to know the will of God is not to guess right. It's to live by faith. And then by faith, to walk in obedience. Paul says, calls it walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the next words help us to know if a Christian is, in fact, then doing the will of God. So we just ask very simply, does their behavior, do their choices do what they does what, what, what they are doing reflect the word and the character of God. If you want to know, is this person, am I doing the will of God? Just simply ask, is what I'm doing reflecting the word and the character of God? That's all you need to ask. Is this what one who gazes at the Savior and wants to direct others people's people's gaze to the Savior as well. Is this what I should do to do that? Can we agree that one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life comes when we know what to do, but we still struggle to actually do it? Can we agree on that? Just be a moment of honesty. Almost always we know what to do. We know the right thing to do. You know what we should do. The problem is actually doing it. So just have you ever been in a position where you know the right thing to do? You know it must be done. But instead, you just, you quite frankly, do something else. Maybe it's because you're trying to protect yourself, trying to protect somebody else. You're trying to make something easier for you, trying to avoid something hard. You just do something else. Paul The apostle, he knew this. He knew this well. So if you go to the end of Romans 7, he says it's almost a guarantee for him that when he knows the right thing to do, the wrong thing will seem so much easier and more appealing. But his conclusion is to thank and to praise God 
because he says it's only by the power of the gospel at work in his life that he's able to do the will of God at all. And, And friends, it's the same thing for us. When we live by faith, God will grant the power to walk according to his will. And so what we're talking about is very simply obedience. Obedience. We can know the will of God, but just to to put it on the table, what good is it to know the will of God if we will not obey his will? And so let, let let me ask that another way. Why, if we can please God, the God who gave us everything calls us out of darkness and into light, why would we not want to live in every way pleasing to him? If anything is holding us back from that, why would we want to choose that thing, that pattern, that distraction, that sin? Because that's what it is. If it's holding you back from worshiping the Lord, it is sin. Why would we want to choose that over him? I know, I know it can seem hard to believe because he's perfect and, and he's mighty in power and you and I are just, just mere mortals, lowly and, and often feeling so feeble. But he loves us and he cares so much for us. And so just use this as a picture. I'm a father and I love my children. In my love for my children, part of what I want for them is wholeness and vitality, and I want for their hearts to be pointed toward things that are good for them. And as their father, I have experiences and I have perspectives, and I know many of the things that will be good for them, and I can see coming some of the things that will harm them. My desire is to help them learn to live in a way that will lead to their flourishing and will see them blessed forever. That's what I want for them. And so when I see my children moving towards something that will harm them, I have two choices. As a dad, I have two choices. I can demand that they stop without explanation Or I can ask them to stop and I can invite them to know why what they're doing is not for their good. And and as a part of that, I can point them to something much better. The second is what God does with us. So look at what's happening here. God isn't demanding that they do his will will or or else he will, you know, smite them. He's saying, I've already qualified you. I've already redeemed you. You don't have to worry that I will stop caring about you or I will withdraw my love for you or I will somehow destroy you if you defy me. That's not what God is saying. He's saying that will never happen. You're already in me. Your place next to me is already secure. And so with that confidence and hope, when we know more of his will and see areas of our lives where we're not fully pleasing to him, it's not because he demands it that we want to change. It's because he's leading us to something better. And that can be hard sometimes. Old habits, 
Old ways of doing things can be difficult to break free from. But I guarantee you it's worth it. I guarantee you that friendship with God is unmatched by anything this world has to offer. And so if there's something between you and walking closely with Jesus, whatever work is required to dig down and uproot it will be well worth it. And if you think that all just seems so hard and you're not sure where you will get the strength, I have good news for you. He supplies that strength too. He does not qualify you and then say, now you alone walk in a manner worthy of me. The gospel isn't what we do first and then we're left to our, on our own. The gospel, the power of God, the good news is that God qualifies us and then strengthens us under that very same power to do good work, to walk in a manner worthy and fully pleasing to him. And so this, this isn't a tip for the week ahead. This, the, Colossians 1, 9 to 14 isn't a life hack. This is an, an invitation to consider now, right now. Is there anything, a single thing even, that God would have me lay down if it meant getting just a little bit more of him. And maybe you have something in mind and you're just not sure where to start. Well, let me tell you, a great place to start is in repentance and prayer. And if you're just not sure what this looks like, Pastor Tim is here, I'm here, we've got a bunch of other people, our elders, they'll be at the doors on your way out. We have a bunch of other people who would love to talk with you, come around you, encourage you, pray with you, get on our knees beside you and talk about what it looks like to walk in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord. That can be hard work. Folks, don't not do it because it's hard. It will be good. Trust God that it's good. Let's pray. God, may by the same strength you supply for salvation, you cause us to know anything that gets in the way of our fellowship with you. And may you embolden us, may you give us the strength to rip it out. We want to be people who gaze at the Savior full of wonder and grace, beauty and truth. We want to grow in that. And so press upon our hearts all the ways that we can live lives fully pleasing to you. And thank you for supplying everything we need to do it. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.